All right, guys, so you get a chance to say it one more time. Merry Christmas. Oh, see, doesn't that feel good? It just feels good. Um, it's great to be with you guys tonight. Uh, once again, my name is Chris Pavlo. I'm the senior pastor here at St. Mark. And, and um, it, we know, I mean, it, you had a lot of things that you could have done uh, to, to fill your day and fill your calendar on Christmas Eve. And we are just honored, deeply, deeply honored that you chose and uh, allowed us to be a part of your Christmas celebration. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you, uh, not just that you'd be here, but like, I've prayed that you would experience Christmas this year. Like, honestly, like, th- that has been my prayer this month, this, this week. And, and the reason, you know, that's kind of like the specific prayer I prayed, uh, and we've been praying as a, as a team, is because uh, we're in a series called Experience Christmas. And, and for the entire month of December, we've been talking about uh, things that you can do to experience the love, joy, hope, peace, faith, and everything that's promised in the Christmas season. And, 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 but tonight, we're not talking about like the attributes or the sentiment behind Christmas. Tonight, we just want you to experience Christmas for everything that it is. And when, when we say that, we, we make jokes like, oh, well, it's not Christmas if you don't watch a Christmas movie, or it's not Christmas. And we have a lot of things. When we talk about experiencing Christmas, we tend to think about what we're going to do. We tend to think about like, well, I'm going to bake these cookies. We're going to open these presents. We're going to wear matching PJs in our house. You know, like, it, like all these things that we have to do. And that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but the problem with that is, is if those things don't happen well, then we miss out on the Christmas experience. So if we don't, like if the, if the cookies are burnt or if so-and-so doesn't show up for Christmas or um, if, you know, like if I don't get the gift that I want, if what I wanted to happen doesn't happen, then that means that my Christmas is like somehow incomplete and it wasn't quite the Christmas I wanted it to be and it didn't meet my expectations. And, and what's also interesting though is that when you look at Scripture, when they talk about this idea of who does and doesn't experience Christmas, it's not a question of what you do. When you look in Scripture, it's a question of who you are. It's who you are that determines whether or not you experience Christmas. That sounds a little strange, but let me show you what I mean. Uh, the, probably the best example of this comes from um, a biography of Jesus written by a first century follower named Luke. And uh, in, this, in, in, in this account, he, he talks about how an angel visits Mary and tells her she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And, you know, she's uh, you know, carrying the, the Son of God. And after that scene happens, uh, Mary breaks out in this, like, impromptu song. This, like, this poem, this song, this prayer, and it just kind of bursts out of her. And in this prayer, she talks about who will and won't experience Christmas. And so we're going to look at this because you've got a few hours left. You've got a few hours left so you, can, you don't miss out the chance to experience Christmas for yourself. So let's take a look at it. It's from Luke chapter 1, and here's how it starts. It says, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she's kind of having this outburst of just praise and gratitude. And she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. We'll get to that in a minute, but she's highlighting this idea of the humble. And then she says, I am blessed, joyful. I am blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. 
Holy is his name. So she kind of like prefaces this whole thing. It's like, God, you're amazing. This is awesome. And then she gets into who will and won't experience Christmas. Take a look at this in verse 53. He has scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts because of this baby boy that I'm now carrying. He has brought down the strong from their thrones, but has lifted up the weak. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. And there it is. You look at this. It seems harsh what she's saying. But she's saying whether or not you experience Christmas, whether or not you celebrate the birth of this child comes down to who you are. It's the humble versus the proud. It's the weak versus the strong. It's the poor versus the rich. And here's the idea. There are those who are too proud, too rich, too strong to need saving. They don't need to be saved. They got it. Like if things are hard, they can just rely on their resources. They kind of put their trust in their resources to take care of them if things are difficult. If things are going their way, they can leverage situations using their strength and their wealth and their wisdom and whatever it might be. But then, in contrast, there are those who are too humble, too weak, and too poor to do anything about it. They realize they can't save themselves. They are in a mess, and they can't get out of it. They need saving. These are the people who are going to receive a savior. They're despondent. They're desperate. They're covered in glitter. So here's what I mean by that. Um, my, uh, I got permission from my daughter to tell this story <laughs> because it's spectacular. Um, when she was eight years old, uh, my daughter, Selah, uh, we, we were at the house, and she kind of, this story like perfectly demonstrates what Mary's talking about, I think. Uh, we're at the house, we're in the kitchen, and I had just fed uh, her lunch, and also my infant daughter at the time, Acacia, uh, just fed her lunch, and we just got done. And uh, Selah, my eight-year-old, was sitting at the kitchen table doing like a, a craft on paper with like glue and paint. And then, you know, you pour the, the glitter on it, right, and do the thing. Like, that's what she's doing. So she's doing this craft on the table. And I get Acacia out of the high chair. And we had her like programs like right after lunch. You lay down for a nap time. It was glorious. Like she was such a good napper. Uh, and like it was just this moment in time where it was so easy. Anyway, so I, get, I clean her up, get her out of the high chair. And I'm holding her. And um, I, I, I'm like, hey, Selah, I'm going to go upstairs uh, and put Acacia down for a nap. And she goes, OK, Daddy can I do glitter while you're gone? And you, you know where this is going. You, you think you know, you don't know. Um, so she's like, can I do glitter? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, and it's like this, you pick your battles as a parent, right? And I'm like, she's eight. I think she can handle it. Okay, I'll be right back. Yes, just please be careful. Okay, I will. And, uh, 
And so I leave the room. I go upstairs with Acacia, and I you know, sing her a quick song. I say a little bit, a nap time prayer, put her down, pat, pat. She was right asleep. It was, I mean, she was an awesome sleeper. And uh, I, I'm gone. One minute tops. I am gone for one minute, maybe a minute 30. But like, that's, that's it, OK? That's how long I am gone. And um, uh, so I then come down the stairs, and my daughter, Sayla, is now covered in a blanket on the couch. And I'm like, oh, hey, Sayla. I figured she just kind of gave up on the craft or whatever, or she was done. And I turn the corner and walk into the kitchen, and then I see it. And when, <laughs> when I say it, I'm not even really sure what it was. Um, and I can't really describe it to you. And so I figured the best way to give you a mental picture of what happened is just tell you the sequence of events that led up to it. And then you can kind of get a mental image of this. And so, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, uh, through forensic evidence and eyewitness testimony, here is what I think happens for what is now referred to as the glittering in the Pavala household, OK? Um, so she's sitting there at the kitchen table. And she's got this paper, glue, paint, craft thing, and the, the jar of glitter. And on glitter jars, there is two options. One are the little holes, like salt and pepper shaker, like, you know, you just do the, oh, it's pouring out glitter. I should not. <laughs> Sorry, Carol. <laughs> um, there's the option of the holes, like a salt and pepper shaker, that kind of sprinkle, right? And then there's the other side. Because the people at glitter factories are evil, they make this option that's this gaping hole of sin where it's the equivalent of just taking off the top and it's just this hole, right? Well, she's eight. And what do you think she wants? Like the calm version or the you know, extreme adrenaline version? She wants the gaping hole of sin. So she takes it and she pours it. And, and like her fine motor skills is everywhere already. So it's fine motor skills of an eight-year-old, and it, like this anthill of glitter falls onto the paper. No problem. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. And so she's like, oops. And so she puts it down, and she thinks, well, I've got to put it back. So she takes the top off, puts it down, grabs a handful of this stuff, and as she grabs it, um, like she, she tries to like sprinkle it back, and so she does this, but she learns what we all know, that it's devil's dust, and it just sticks to your hands. And so it's not like coming off, and she's like, uh-oh, and there's still more glitter on the, ta on the paper. So she decides, well, I'm just going to take it and like, shh, you know, pour it into the garbage. So she picks up the paper uh, to pour it into the garbage that's under the kitchen sink, not realizing that the jar has been set onto the paper. And so when she picks the paper up, the jar tips over, rolls off the table, onto the floor, and onto the air vent. <laughs> and of course, the air conditioner is on, and there's now a Stranger Things cloud of sin wafting through, like a raining down glitter in the kitchen. Unbelievable. Uh, and so... So she's standing there, and so she's like, well, what do I do? Well, she's committed, you know, and so she walks to the, um, the, the cabinet, and she, she realizes that it's, you know, it's shut. So she puts the paper down onto the counter, which is why our banana sparkled, and opens the door and then pours out the, the, the glitter and then puts it back 
And then it's like, well, I've got to take care of this. So she takes out a wad of paper towels, wets them, and she's barefoot, by the way. Okay, so she's walking, and now it's raining glitter, right? So she's stepping on all of the glitter all the way back, making like little Tinkerbell glitter all behind her footprints. And she gets there, and she starts wiping up the glitter with a wet paper towel. But it doesn't stick to the paper. Why would it? It's glitter. You're like, why, why would you want it to do something practical like that? It doesn't stick to the paper, and it's just making this like glitter cement now on the, the table. And so she's like, this doesn't work. So a little Tinkerbell footprints back to the trash can, throws it away, realizes there's nothing she can do. It's, so she just leaves the kitchen and tracks a chemtrail through the, the, through the living room, covers herself in a blanket, and waits for her impending doom. <laughs> One minute. One minute. Minute and a half, tops, okay? <laughs> I come down the stairs. Hey, Selah, how are you? I turn the corner, and I see all of this. And I have that moment, you know, like where like, time stands still, like, right? And you have all these internal conversations with yourself. And I realized in this moment, like, no matter how I disciplined her, no matter how much I yelled, it wasn't going to clean it up. She couldn't do it. I've seen her work. Like, <laughs> I know it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. I'm her dad. I've got to clean it. So why would it be any different with you and me, with our Heavenly Father? We've made a mess of things. No matter how hard we try, we keep making the mess bigger and bigger. And he looks at us. And the word scripture would use for this mess isn't the word mess. It's the word sin. And he looks at us in the mess of our sin. And he realizes that he's got to come and help us, save us, rescue us. And there's a scripture that says, uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive his righteousness. Oh. So he looks at this mess, and, and, it, and it's not just, by the way, by the way, when I say the word sin, don't think like the naughty thing that you did. Naughty list, nice list. Don't think of sin like that. It's, that's not the way we see it in scripture. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's our condition. It's the state we are in. Sin. It's called a curse. All of creation is under the curse of sin. We just sang about it. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. And the curse is found in your relationships that are broken. The curse of sin is found in your failing health and your mortality, the very fact that you can die. You weren't made to die. The curse of sin is found in your, your, your struggle with addiction. The curse of sin is found in all of these decisions that you make that are so selfish. Your, your wisdom and your judgment is impaired because you're so self-focused, so prideful. 
That's the curse of sin. It's so much more than, are you a sinner? Did you do naughty? No, no, no. It's this condition all around us. And so he comes to rescue us from that sin because we can't do anything about it. It's like doing the dishes with dirty water. We can't do anything about it. He comes to rescue us from our sin. He is the cure for the curse. And it's more than just, oh, you get out of, uh, you know, like you get a free pass to heaven now. Woo. No, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven is now and, and, and not yet as well. It's this idea of like now he offers you his righteousness in exchange for your wickedness, your failures. He offers you strength, real strength, his strength in exchange for your weakness. He offers you his riches and his provision for your poverty. He offers you him. And this is so much more, so much more than just, are you naughty or nice? Are you in heaven or out? This is what we celebrate tonight. This is what we celebrate tonight. And the people who receive what he has to give, listen, the people who receive the blessings, the riches, the strength, the, the, the wealth, the, the wisdom that he has to give are those humble enough to need rescued. A little bit later, we're going to sing a song that says, we're meek, humble. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So Christmas is not a question of what you do, my friends. It's a question of who you are. Can you humble yourself enough to need rescue? I have prayed for you that you would experience Christmas. And not just tonight, like that we just celebrate Christmas. Christ, Christ mass, Christ celebration tonight. But like, why would we limit that to one night? Don't you need him every day? Don't you, don't you have weaknesses and struggles? Every, and don't you see the curse of sin every day? And my prayer for you is that you would experience Christmas well beyond December 25th, that you know, May 25th, July 25th, October 25th, you would press into Jesus with the same intentionality and intensity that you are right now. Do you, do you really think you would regret it? Do you really think you would, you would be lesser off because you spent time pursuing Jesus throughout the year, leaning into his righteousness, his riches, his, his wisdom, his strength? Really? So I think it'd, I think you would join the voice and the chorus with the other humble worshipers. And you would be able to say for yourself, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of his humbled servants. Wow. I have prayed that you would experience Christmas.
It's not what you do. It's who you are, honestly. Now, I've prayed for you. Now is your chance to pray for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, first of all, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for coming and blessing us and saving us. You didn't send a politician. You didn't send a consultant. You didn't send a general. You sent a savior because we need rescue. And it's hard to pray this prayer, Lord, because um, it, it, what it means to be humbled. But we know that you're good and you're gracious and you're kind. And so we pray with trust. Would you humble us? Forgive us when we trust in our riches, our wisdom, our strength. Humble us, Lord that we may experience Christmas tonight and in the year ahead. And it's fitting, God, we're, we're, we're your children. You don't have any grandchildren. And uh, as your children, we pray the prayer your son taught us to pray that, that calls on you as our Father. And so we say these words together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.